Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to a special encore presentation of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. I'd like to welcome to the show Karen from Omaha, Nebraska. Karen, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about what you do, and about Omaha, Nebraska. Hmm. Well, I'm 36, pretty much born and raised in Omaha. Um, currently working as an administrative assistant. Lived in Omaha till I was 18, moved away, went to college. Came back when I was about 30. Where did you go to? Where did I go to when I left? Yeah. I left to go to college. Started out at TCU in Fort Worth. Then I went to Loyola, New Orleans. And then I went to UT in Austin. So what's been your favorite place other than home? I would have to say Austin. Why? Um, At the time that I moved there, it was the liberal oasis of Texas. Um, It was very free thinking. It was cheap. Um, Had a fantastic university. I transferred in from a two smaller colleges, one, both of them private, um, and it was just, you could do anything you wanted. You could learn anything you wanted. You could explore whatever you wanted. So tell me about Nebraska and, and about Omaha. I mean, how how's the standard of living in, in Nebraska and Omaha, and, and how are the, how's the government of the state of Nebraska treating you? Well, I think that um, politics, um, you know, Nebraska's a red state, but I was raised in a traditional, you know, Kennedy Democrat, you know, Irish Catholic Democrat family. Um, and I think Omaha is probably an undiscovered gem. I think people don't realize what Omaha is. They don't realize how big it is. They don't realize what we have here. They don't realize how many companies are here. You know, a lot of people don't realize we have hot running water and electricity and phone service and cable. So here's your chance to tell the world about Omaha, Nebraska. What would you like people to know about Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska is a good place to raise your kids. Um, It can be a little bland, but it's not dead, and we don't ride horses to work. And we do go to work when it's 30 degrees below zero. And, you know, life actually does happen here. There is stuff to do here. I find it interesting from me being in Iowa to hear somebody from Omaha, Nebraska, saying that Omaha, Nebraska is kind of bland. <laughs> we're kind of caught in the middle, unfortunately. You know, we're not real big, but we're not real small either. I think the metro area is pushing three hundred, three quarters of a million people. How many movie theaters do you have? We have one. We have probably at least six or eight and two more going up than I'm aware of. So how many screens? Um... Gazillion screens, right? Gazillion, yeah. Right. So Omaha, Nebraska is not a small town, and it shouldn't be bland and boring. Yeah, but if you want to see a foreign film, you're not necessarily going to see it here. But on the other hand, there's a symphony, there's a ballet, there's good restaurants, there's a good standard of living. It used to be fairly safe. It's not so much anymore. 
what is? Where is? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I, to a certain degree, I would rather be in Omaha than be in some of the small towns in southeast Nebraska right now. You know, just big meth problems and kind of a loss of identity, I think, and I just, I just wouldn't want to be there. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people uh, that are connected with social services around the state of Iowa, and they just say the meth problem is incredibly bad. It's astronomical. It is unbelievable. And what was interesting is that um, for the two years that I lived in Chicago, um, it was just kind of becoming a problem in the Chicago metro area. I mean, of course, Chicago's always had drug issues and drug gangs and drug traffic and all, you know, the big problems that you have in a big city, but they did not have the meth issues like Nebraska's had. And it's been old news and fairly common for years, for five or seven years. And it's just now becoming a really big issue in Chicago. It's really quite scary. So why do you think people are turning to meth or to drugs, period? Um, my personal view is, well, it's kind of a bleeding hearts liberal stance, but I think it's a lot of hopelessness. I think it's a lot of anger. I think it's a lot of frustration. Um, it might be the sense of not being able to compete or on the, on the other end of the spectrum, feeling all-powerful, like you can't be touched. I think that at the heart of it, I think it's the loss of the soul and the center of the family and of the community. And I think there's just a big focus in society on all the wrong things, materialism and wealth and money and stuff. Um, and there's a cost to that. And I think people feel empty. And I think that's how they fill themselves up, and that's how they cope, is by turning to drugs. And I think it's just a, it's a, it's a sign of a bigger societal problem. So in the, the realm of politics, where do you see yourself, to the middle, to the left, or to the right? Well, I used to actually be more left than I am now, but I'm definitely to the left, definitely. I'm fairly fiscally conservative, but I'm pretty socially liberal. So have you always voted Democratic? Yes. When I was in sixth grade... Um, we had a mock election, and this was the year that Reagan was running against Carter, so it had to been like 1980. And we had the mock election, and we went in and we voted in secret, and we did the whole shebang. And it turned out that, of course, Reagan won in a landslide, and there was only two kids in all of my sixth grade class that voted for Carter, me and somebody else. And to this day, I have no idea who that other kid was, but I really want to know who was the other lone liberal in my sixth grade class at Cody Elementary. So... So tell me about the Democratic Party. Do you feel that it is representing your views well right now? Well, I'm, you know, I'm definitely to the left, but I'm not a registered Democrat, and I haven't been for a while. I'm just as disappointed and disheartened in the Democrat, Democratic Party as I am in the Republican Party. I don't think that, you know, if, you know, politics is a pie chart, of course the Democrats are going to have a greater chance or probability of, of aligning themselves with, with my personal views, but I don't think that they really care about me, and I certainly don't necessarily trust them to be any different than the Republicans. You know what I mean? I just think it's all fairly well corrupt. I think it's overrun with money. Um, I think that politicians will say whatever they need to say in order to get elected. It's not about, you know, representing their constituents. It's more about getting elected, getting elected, getting elected, and it's more about who's in power 
And unfortunately, I think in this country, it's a zero-sum game, so you only get one or the other, which I think is horrible. So what do you think they need to change or any political party needs to change to gain your vote or your trust from either you or your friends and neighbors? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm willing to I'm willing to listen to anybody wherever they fall on the political spectrum as long as they're a plain dealer and as long as they 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 take responsibility for what they believe in and they're willing to say what it is. And they're willing to admit that there are no easy decisions and compromises have to be made and not everybody's going to be happy. Um, you know, and this is, these are what I perceive as the facts and this is what I think we should do. And I'm willing to listen to that, no matter who it may be. I mean, I will, I will easily and without a problem vote for a Republican if I think that person is better suited for the, the, the position that they're running for. I don't have a problem with that. I'd, I'd vote for a libertarian, although I would be surprised if I voted for a libertarian, but I'd be willing to consider it. I would vote for a Green. I would vote for a Democrat. I would vote for an Independent, you know. Well, well, tell me about some of the current events around the world that people are talking about either at work or, you know, in the neighborhood or maybe around the family table. Well, what's interesting is I have a pretty – a pretty well, not necessarily politically active family, but we certainly have our opinions, and I think that we're aware of it, of what's going on in the world and all the issues and the headlines and whatnot. But we don't talk about it as much as we used to, and I think that a lot of people don't talk about it as much as they used to, especially those of us who are on the left. And I think it's because there is just controversy fatigue, compassion fatigue, terrorism fatigue, um, corruption fatigue. I think people just want to talk about anything else but politics, at least the people that I know. So are you thinking that people are looking toward escapism? No, I don't. Mm, no, I don't think that they are. I think that they're just fed up and tired and they just don't have the energy to talk about it anymore. You know, I used to get into great political discussions um, with friends of mine, that's kind of one of the things that we like to do is to get into political discussions, and it has really dropped off. Um, honestly, I think since Bush came into office and we went to war in Iraq, because I think a lot of people are feeling fatigued and like there isn't really any point in discussing it. Um, one, because no change can come from people's opinions and maybe they feel powerless. And I think that most people are aware of the fact that it's mm, the country is very diametrically opposed right now, but it's pretty much split down the split down the middle, and people feel strongly to the right or they feel strongly to the left. And there isn't a whole lot of people willing to compromise or listen to the other side or find any kind of common ground. And people just are tired of talking about it, I think. They're not willing to talk about it. And plus, I also think that, a lot of people, at least particularly in my age group and a couple of years older, um, it isn't their main concern. Um, their main concerns are with their families and with their lives and finding some meaning and trying to do something that matters and, you know, kind of trying to get away from the materialism and the pressure to make money and the pressure to have a bigger house and the pressure to have all the stuff and to find something that actually can drive them and motivate them to get up in the morning. 
got to be something more. That's a conversation that I have with people all across gender lines and age lines and, you know. So I think it's one of two things. People just are, are tired of talking about it. They don't see any real solutions to it. And then number two, they're just kind of looking for something deeper anyway. So what do you think the person in London who has to take a commuter train every day to get to work, what do you think is the first thing that they think about? Man, that's really, I don't know. I don't know. My fear is the first thing that they're thinking is that the, the, they wouldn't be dealing with this situation if it wasn't for the U.S. foreign policy. That it's our fault that these things are happening. That if we weren't in Iraq, they wouldn't be getting suicide bombings in the tube. That's my fear. I honestly don't know. I think that I read a message board that has a lot of international participants, and the majority of the international participants are from Australia or New Zealand or Britain. Um, not a whole lot of Germans, not a whole lot of Swedes, mostly Americans, predominantly Americans, and Brits. And I think that the impression that I get is, on the whole, um, people in other countries like Americans as people, they like the individuals, but they do not like the country and its policies and what, what the nation does, but they like the individual people that they know. And I've heard that uh, as well. Matter of fact, I was watching a, a, a talk show earlier, and, and that's pretty much what they said, which is we love Americans, we just don't like the American government's policies. Right. And I think that is important, too, and I think that a lot of the Americans whose comments that I read on this board um, want to make it clear and, you know, to, to get the word out that there's a whole lot of Americans who don't, we're not a monolithic country, and we don't necessarily like the policies that our government gets involved with either. And even those of us who do agree with foreign policy decisions, which is, of course, obviously the most important one to a lot of nations or economic decisions, even if we do agree on the whole, um, people still can disagree to to a degree, and it isn't just a monolithic country. And in particular, I think that it's really important for some people to make sure that it gets expressed that, yes, George Bush won this election, and there's a lot of people who are very, very much against him, and you need to understand that it's, it's almost a 50-50 split. And for as many people who support him, there's a goodly number of people who do not. And I, and I think that most people outside the United States who are willing to, to consider that understand that and don't have a problem with that. I find it interesting that with the fact that people aren't trusting George Bush's views, that also they have trust against the opposition, which is the Democratic Party as well. So if you have distrust with both, where do the American people go? Mm, well... I personally, nobody seems to, you know, uh, take this kind of point of view except for me. I seem to be the only person who seems to feel this way. But there's, what, 290 million Americans? I don't even know. The last time I knew for sure the population was 260 million, and that was 15 years ago. So there's 290 million Americans, for, let's say. Now, not all of them can vote. Not all of them are eligible to vote. Not all of them are old enough to vote. But certainly a big, huge majority chunk of them are. And I personally hold the American public responsible for what's going on in politics. Because, yes, it's true that there is PAC money and there is influence and there is all this other stuff. But the fact of the matter is it's a matter of math. 
and you can vote them out. Your vote doesn't cost anything. I realize that not everybody has an equal opportunity to vote. Some people are supposed to be able to get off work. Some employers don't. Some people don't feel like they can they can enforce that that regulation law, whatever it is. I don't even know. I mean, not everybody's going to be able to do that. But I blame it on people who won't vote, don't see their vote as important, or don't think, and they just vote the they just vote the ticket, or they vote the name that they know the most, or they vote for the guy whose hair they like. You know, I hold the American public responsible, and I do think that we get the government that we deserve. And if we don't like it, then you need to be out there in your community. You need to be working for whatever you need to do to get on the school board, to get on the Metropolitan Community College Board, to get on the water board, to get on your city council, to get in your state legislature. You know, you need to be out there and doing these kinds of things. And you, And I think that it's not logical for the United States to be represented by only two parties because we aren't that way. All of us fall on the spectrum, no matter what issue that we're talking about. Everybody falls on a spectrum somewhere. Nobody is all this or all that, I don't think. And it, it doesn't make sense for there to only be two parties. So people need to be developing more parties. They need to be dealing with the election board. They need to get people on the ballot they need to get people on the national debates. They need to be working for more voices. And it's not an easy thing to do. You're very right about that. It's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. And, you know, I mean, I got a lot of flack um, in some circles for voting for Nader um, in the last presidential election. Um, and I, I felt strongly, and I feel strongly now, that in that context, the most important thing I have is my, my ability to vote. My vote actually is important. And people are like, well, you have absolutely no choice of winning. I know that. We know he pulled votes from the Democrats, possibly. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that, and certainly not in Nebraska. It wasn't an issue. But I feel that it's very, very vitally important that you vote your conscience. And not only was I voting for someone whose views that I like better, um, and I wasn't afraid to go out of the party line to do that. I also think that it's really, really important to cast a vote for diversity on the ballot. And that was part of the reason why I voted for him. And not just because it was like the hip thing to do or whatever. It's like I strongly feel that we need more, we need more voices in the national arena in particular and that's what I was voting for. Okay, okay. Anything else you'd like to talk about besides politics? Um, well, nothing that I can think about offhand. Okay, time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where we turn the tables, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. These questions have not been previewed, and I don't know what's coming down, so go ahead and shoot. Okay, so here's a question that I actually had this weekend. What is the difference between horsepower and torque? Horsepower is a, well, what's called brake horsepower, is actual uh, the power of the engine, and the torque is actually the thrust that it uh, pulls out. Sounds good to me. That, I think that falls in line with what I looked up on the Internet. Okay. Sounds about right. Okay, here's another question. Do you know why the British and the former British colonies drive on the left side of the road? I can honestly say I do not know why. I know why. 
Fire away. It's because it has to do, in part, with the size of wagons that were used in England proper and the British Isles proper versus the European continent and versus the United States. In England, for lack of a better term, in England they would use a wagon that was smaller because the roads were smaller, the country was smaller, the topography was smaller. So they ended up using a wagon with a single horse that had a seat, so they would ride on the left-hand side of the road so that if they needed to quickly draw their sword back in the Middle Ages, they could do that by being on the left side of the road and drawing their sword with their right hand. Does that make sense? No. They wanted to have their right hand available. Okay. And they were sitting in, in, a, in a, a wagon that only required one horse, typically, so they had a seat. They could hold the reins with their left hand. They could draw their sword with the right hand. They could lash their horse with the right hand. When you get later on into history, around the 1700s, on the continent and in the United States, the topography is different. You can use a larger wagon um, to haul more stuff because the roads can be wider. I don't know if you've ever driven in, like, in Britain or in Ireland, but the roads are very narrow. So you get to the States, you get to France, the roads are wider, they can use bigger wagons, haul more stuff. So what they end up doing is using a team of horses as opposed to one single horse, and typically, the driver would ride on the left-hand side horse. Now, this necessitated being on the right-hand side of the road so that when they came across another wagon going the opposite direction, they could watch the wheels on the left-hand side of the, of the wagon to make sure that they didn't run their wheels together. So they ended up riding on the right, right side of the road. That's interesting. But did they really have enough engineering to say that where are we going to put these cell phones once they get invented <laughs> that is now typically used in well you do have your choice i think most people would use the rain hand for the cell phone mm. most people and you may notice this to be true most people will talk on the phone with the phone to their left ear most people are talking with the cell phone while they've got one finger on the wheel which is really scary which is equally as dangerous as driving drunk or with the sword <laughs> and driving drunk with a sword while smoking, talking on a cell phone, you know, attempting to drive a stick. Right, and then you've got the people behind them that are talking to the police <laughs> that are saying there's somebody with a sword hanging out the window driving drunk while talking on the cell phone. Truly, really it's amazing. I, you know, being a youngin' and everything, I just don't understand how we got through millennia of, of human development and human history without the advent of the cell phone because really i mean it's key that you be able to call your spouse when you're leaving your office going i'm leaving my office i'll be home in a half an hour you have too much time <laughs> you have too much time because you know what you're going to be home in a half an hour regardless why the phone call yeah i think people have cell phones because they can I, I agree i don't have a cell phone i do but i only use it uh, when i'm away I had a cell phone for a while. It had a purpose, but after a while it didn't have a purpose, and I'm, I'm not willing to spend money on it. So I don't have one. What's question number three? Question number three. Question number three. Question number three. Hang on just a second. Oh, here, this is for your opinion. If you had an inheritable, inheritable disease in your family and there was an ability to test for it, would you want to know if you had the disease or not? Yes. Why? Because I think that knowledge is power. And I think that if you know something that 
is affecting you or whatever that you might as well plan for it or, or you know find out if you can do something about it what if there's no cure but wonder if there is what if by putting that in your medical records you're no longer able to get life insurance or health insurance a good point would you still be willing to know um, not if it injured me to, to the point where I couldn't get health insurance. What if you knew that was what, what was going to kill you, but wasn't going to kill you for another 30 or 40 years? Would you still want to know? I think I would. Really? Yeah. Huh. But, I mean, people you know, who, for example, who live with Alzheimer's or have or been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you know, they, they know. Yeah. It's true. That's at least one place where, you you know, you know that... In this day and age, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, so you might as well. It's like the Shawshank Redemption. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. Yeah, and it's time to get your house in order. Mm, interesting. So that's my opinion. Interesting. Interesting. Karen, thank you so much for your time, your opinions, and uh, just sharing everything that you know <laughs> about driving on the left side of the road. <laughs> and I hope it's kind of right. Somebody's going to – I know somebody's going to – it's going to be controversial. Well, the other thing that was that I thought was kind of interesting that you you discussed driving on the left side of the road, and yes, your politics are from the left too. <laughs> it must mean I'm right-brained. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Thank you so much for being our guest on You Are the Guest. My pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you would make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at billgrady at youaretheguest.com. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.
Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.